He has done all things well. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37 that we read earlier. Now, this is a really unique event in that the specifics of it are only recorded by Mark. Now, Matthew includes the event, but he sort of gives us an over, just an overarching uh, review of what happened. This is Matthew's account of this whole story we just read from Mark. Matthew said, Jesus departed, skirted the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain, sat down, and great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. Then they glorified the God of Israel. So Matthew just sort of gives that, uh, um, as I said, overarching comment of the going-ons there. And Mark does what he does. He pulls out this one specific character in this one incident, and he sort of highlights it um, probably for his purpose of trying to um, if you remember about the book of Mark, he is trying to highlight for Gentiles who are being persecuted that Jesus that he talks about and this Jesus that has been proclaimed is indeed the Messiah of God that the Jews had waited on. And so he's trying to point that out. And um, he does this by um, bringing out this one man out of all these that were healed and then makes this profound confession that he has done all things well. He highlights that the people said this about him. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So Jesus has been making this journey outside of Jerusalem or the borders of Israel into the Gentile lands um, trying to proclaim this fact, not trying, he was doing this. He was proclaiming that he is indeed the Messiah, the light of men sent to the Jews, but also light to the Gentiles, the one through whom God would build a people for himself, a new people, a new race, if you will, the church, where there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? Where God brings all of his people together to this one unique church and so mark chooses this man who had as the esv says an impediment in speech now that's an interesting word i think if you have a king james it may just say mute but he had an impediment in his speech and the reason it's translated that way further than just being mute is that it means he had difficulty with speaking in fact the word in the greek new testament sort of sounds like a mouthful of words Almost like what we would call an onomatopoeia that makes the noise that it symbolizes, but it, you know, like meow or something. But in this case, it's a Greek word that sounds like an impediment, like somebody stumbling over their words. And it suggests that this happened to the man later in life. He wasn't born this way. He became deaf, and as a result of being deaf, he could no longer hear his words, and so his words became muted or confused it's the only time the word is used in the new testament but it's used once in the greek old testament or the greek translation of the old testament and we read it this morning from isaiah chapter 35 you may recall the beginning of that 
chapter is talking about God coming with vengeance, with recompense. But through that judgment of God coming, he will save his people. And it makes this statement. In that day when Messiah comes, that's what Isaiah is talking about. And if you remember the Old Testament prophets and preachers, they only saw that there was a day coming in the Messiah. They didn't see the, all the unfolding of it. They didn't see that Jesus would come and then he would go away and then he would come back. They just saw a day of the Lord. They saw a day of the Messiah, the end. And so they said in those days when God comes in judgment and vengeance, when the day of the Lord comes, when the day of the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind, Isaiah said, shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall, deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. And then here's that word. And the tongue of the mute or the tongue of the one with the speech impediment shall sing. I think that's beautiful. It doesn't just say the mute will talk again. This one whose words have been, he's been stumbling over his words. When Messiah comes, he'll be able to sing with that same tongue. Just a beautiful picture of Messiah. And you can see that Mark is choosing a phrase and he's possibly highlighting this one man of all these healings so that certainly any Jews listening to him or reading would understand, hey, he's connecting this Jesus to that Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about. And so that even also the Gentiles who have been hearing the teachings would know the same God who Isaiah spoke about was among us. And he has done all things well. He's made the heavens, the earth, and everything that there is, and it's all good. He made man, and he has suffered long with him because he is a good God. And then he has sent Jesus, who's also good and does all things well. Now, this is an interesting scene. All of these healing scenes that we have in the New Testament, very interesting to look at. All these folks being brought to him. And he heals all sorts of people, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. And it's a beautiful picture of the fact that just prior to this, if you read in earlier in chapter 7, you have that story where the Gentile woman comes to Jesus and asks him to heal her daughter. And Jesus says to her, well, basically, um, don't you know that God tends to the Jews first, sort of spreads the table for the Jews first? And she answers, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat from the crumbs that fall from the table. Just a beautiful picture of the overflowing grace of God. It's not just for the Jews. It flows over. And by the way, that's us. We're all the dogs eating the scraps under the table. So thanks be to God for that. And Jesus then says to her, this is an amazing statement. Your daughter has been healed because she obviously understood who Jesus was. Now, this story unfolds interestingly. It says that Jesus took this one man who was struggling with this impediment of speech, and he takes him aside privately, it says. I guess not wishing, not wishing to call attention to his problems. He probably had lots of attention called to his problems all throughout his life. He takes him to uh, also so Jesus gets down close to him. Very unusual means of this miracle. I don't, I don't have a, a 
I don't have an explanation for all this, where he puts his fingers in his ears and he spits, and then he puts his hand or touches the man's, it seems to indicate touching the man's tongue, not his own tongue. He looks up, I think maybe so the man would make no mistake in wondering where this miracle was about to come from. But then the Bible says he sighed. Deeply groaning. It's a word that the Bible uses even for us as believers when our souls long for and crave for the blessings of the world to come. Several places, 2 Corinthians 5 and 2, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 and 4, we who are in this tent, this earthly body, we are burdened not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. That groaning, I think Jesus is, and Mark is highlighting for us that Jesus, the one who is able to be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, even the deep groanings of our soul, that longing and desire that we have to be elsewhere. It's a marvelous thing. And then Jesus spoke the words, be opened. And the results, of course, the man's ears were opened and his impediment in his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Now, several things I just want to highlight for you and see if we can take something with us. One, I think it's hard to not note the burden for people, the burden that other people had for people. Mark is very good at highlighting this, even way back in the very beginning of Mark chapter 2. You remember that story when some friends brought their lame friend to this house to meet Jesus and they couldn't get in, so they lowered him down through the roof. And here again, Mark points out for us that there are many people being brought to Jesus. I often find myself when I read these passages sorrowful over my own sin because I'm not sure how often I have this kind of burden to get people to Christ. Right? And I know that's like, uh, I'm not trying to pile guilt upon us, but I find, it leaves me asking the question, why am I not more eager? Obviously because I'm sinful. But do I really believe in Christ? Do I believe he's the only way to God? Do I believe that he's done all things well? Would I have been among the crowds of people bringing folks in stretchers and leading blind folks to Christ just that he might touch them? Would I have been as brave as the woman with the great infirmity who struggled through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment? Probably not because I don't find myself often that way now. At times, God gives me great burdens for people and I'm thankful for that. So I think it should leave us here praying for more faith in Jesus because I'm not here to tell you do better. Why don't you just start feeling like these people? Because I don't want to be told that myself because sometimes I don't feel that way. But what I believe the point could be made is this. It's not our deeds that are lacking, but our faith. Our faith needs to be strengthened. We need to believe that Jesus is really the only hope. 
Because in reality, our practices are indicators of what we really believe. And oftentimes, as one man prayed to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. What we need is more belief in Christ. Too often we come to church and we tell people, do this, do this, and do that, and you'll be better Christian and let's go home. What I'm saying to you is that we have a Savior who does all things well. You'll never have a burden for people like you need to have. You'll never bring people to Christ like you should. But what you need to understand is that Christ is certainly able to save anybody Heal anybody, forgive anybody. Your hope is not in what you can do, but your hope is in who Christ is, right? We need that kind of faith, but we often don't have it. We need to believe God so much that we do really believe that if people can just hear the gospel, they they will be saved. That really is our hope. Even those of us who are in a Reformed church and we call ourselves Calvinists, we have to trust God and get pray to God to give us more faith to believe that every single person that hears the gospel can be saved. It's not up to us who picks uh, who God chooses and who he doesn't. But we ought to preach the gospel in that way. I ought to be fully convinced that this morning, if there is any one of you who have not been saved, that as I unfold more about who Jesus is and what he's done, you can be saved. If not, there's no need in us meeting together. There's no need in preaching. So, as I want you to think about this, because it's a beautiful picture, I can just imagine the first century, you know, no cars, no vehicles, these people struggling every way possible to get their folks to Jesus because they knew if they could just get to him, they'd be saved. And then we read of things like the lady before. She couldn't even get her daughter to him, and Jesus still healed her. And there's other stories like that. This man has done all things well because he is the God man. He is God. And often we just don't believe it that way because we are sinful. We doubt. Puts us in pretty good company. Until Jesus was crucified and went away, he was constantly looking at his 12 men that was with him every day. Oh, you have little faith. You still don't believe? But we need more faith. So that's our prayer. Not first, God, give me more souls for the harvest or God, give me more burden to get more people to hear the gospel. But God, just give me a greater understanding of who you are and a greater faith and belief in you and from that drive my burden for people and so we get to verse 34 Jesus speaks be open and it was open just stop for a minute and see the salvation of the Lord this is not just about healing a, a body ailment or a speech impediment. He spoke with difficulty. But I think what we ought to see in a bigger picture here 
This man was had virtually no hope to ever speak clearly, to ever hear again. And so it is with men and women, boys and girls, we are dead spiritually with no hope of hearing. Unable to hear. Unable to respond if we did hear because we can't understand when we hear. That's where we all were at one point. And God miraculously, divinely, graciously opened your ears to hear that when the preacher said Jesus died for your sins, you understood that's my sins. That's Jesus died for me. Jesus took my place. I had sinned against God with no hope of ever undoing that. And God caused me to hear there is hope. I mean, can you imagine this man could see, but he couldn't hear or speak. Probably had no idea what was going on. Why are they bringing me here? Maybe they could communicate it to him some way. What's this man doing? Why does he put his fingers in my ear? He's going to touch my tongue. This must have seemed weird until his ears were opened and his tongue was loosed. And so it may be for some to hear the gospel, to hear about this Jesus, it seems weird. This old, what in the world does this have to do with me if this happened so long ago? And it makes no sense until God... The same God who opened this man's ears opened your spiritual ears and your spiritual heart and your spiritual eyes till you see and you understand. You may not understand everything. None of us do. But you understand this. I was lost and now, according to what I'm hearing, I can be saved. This makes sense. I don't know all of it, but I know this. I was blind, but now I see. This is exactly what Paul did. He said, in fact, this is what God did. He said to me, open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You may remember two disciples on the road to Emmaus walking with Jesus just after the resurrection, and they were blinded. They didn't even know it was Christ they were walking with. You may remember how that went and Jesus asked them why are you so sorrowful and they said are you the only person around here that's not heard of Jesus of Nazareth and what they've done to him and then the Bible says their eyes were opened and they knew him and then he vanished from their sight and then they said to one another did not our heart burn within us while we talked with him on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us we we're talking about this in Sunday school this morning the garden Adam and Eve couldn't see evil. They could only see good. But once they added the fruit, then they knew good and the evil. But the interesting thing was, it seemed like at that point, all they could see was evil and they couldn't see the good anymore. So they were open to good and blinded to evil, but the sin brought them open to evil and blinded to good. <coughs> and so it is with us. We brought into that same world of sin unable to see good and righteousness and hear the gospel until God speaks. 
And when God speaks and opens your ears and opens your eyes and opens your heart, whatever way it is the Bible says, which means basically you didn't understand, but now you do. You didn't think Jesus was anything, and now you understand he's your Savior. Later in that same chapter, Luke chapter 24 on the Maus Road, Jesus comes back into where his disciples are gathered, and those Emmaus Road disciples are talking about this. Man, our hearts burn within us. He's really alive. Then Jesus said to all of them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is the hope that we all have, the same hope this man had of his ears being opened and his tongue being loosed. We have to have God speak to us and open our ears and our eyes and loose our tongues that we can not only believe, but we can profess to believe. It's a miracle that we can't see happening as these people saw it happening before them, but we see the fruits of it happening, right? We talked about this several weeks back. This is why we're baptized. Why? It's a, it's a symbol of the union that has taken place and what has already been done in us. And so every week and this week, we will take the Lord's Supper. Why? Because we do it until he comes. It's a remembrance of what God has done for us through Christ until he comes. The body that was broken for us, by his stripes we have been healed. The blood that was shed to, to remit our sins. All through the Bible. Acts chapter 16, there was a woman named Lydia, seller of purple from Thyatira. She worshiped God, but she didn't understand the gospel. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. I love all those places that the Bible says God opened their eyes. He opened their hearts. It's the same word used in Mark chapter 7. He opened this man's ears. If God doesn't do it, it won't be opened. That's why we don't feel like we have to play silly games, do all kinds of fanatical things to get people in here to hear. We just preach the gospel and know that God will do what he did long ago what he did yesterday, what he's doing today. He'll open eyes, open ears, open hearts, and people will believe. So just as this man was not right physically, as we would see it, no hope was available to him to be made right with his ears and with his tongue till God cleared up his speech. So we are spiritually until God speaks to us gives us the ability to hear if you've been given that be thankful it's a great gift because then he was able to leave this man who had been struggling to speak because he couldn't hear himself speak and he couldn't hear suddenly now he's able to do both And you have this messianic secret where Jesus says to everybody, and this happens several times in the New Testament, now don't, don't, don't tell anybody that this has happened. And if you study that out, you see that because, as he said, his time had not yet come. It wasn't time for him to be revealed as the Messiah. And, the, and humans wanted to make him an earthly king. They wanted an earthly Messiah. They wanted an earthly man to step in and destroy Rome and take over. And so it wasn't time for him yet. And so he would say these things. Tell no one. But I love this because 
and, I, and I'm always baffled by this passage, this disobedience. Because Jesus said, don't do this, but they did it. But how could they not do it, right? So this man who couldn't speak, but once he could speak, was told not to, but did anyway. So you go from not being able to talk to being able to talk, but then told not to talk, but then he talks anyway. And then I read somebody said, we are told to speak and we can, but we don't. So again, there's that convicting aspect of this in our sinfulness and our forgiveness because we can't. The Lord has to loosen our speech. And even after we're saved, the, the Lord still has to loosen our speech because our desires will be opposite of what God desires for us. It says they were astonished beyond measure, saying he's done all things well. He makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And even though he charged them, they still proclaimed it. And that word proclaim is the word that's translated often preach. So they left there, possibly not saying anything other than this is the Messiah of God, preaching the gospel. Because the same word used of John the Baptist when he was preaching and of Jesus when he said, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That part of this passage always intrigues me, though. Because maybe it's just to show us that when you have this, you can't keep it quiet. It's not supposed to be kept quiet. There has to be a burden. So when we find ourselves without the burden, we need to go back to God, go back to Christ, ask him to give us more faith that we might see not just who he is, but see those who need to hear the gospel. And give us the burden to preach it and to, and to invite people and to love people because God is saving people. And he saves people through the gospel and through the preaching of it. There's no other way. It's a great story. Mark is awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of your blessings and for the good news of the gospel, the good news that we read here, that you did come to save and forgive and to heal. And we see in these physical healings the ultimate healing of our souls, the ultimate healing for which you came, that which was broken and wounded in the garden that can never be repaired by any human. But it did get repaired by a human, Jesus, who is also God. The second Adam. The Adam who was able to obey perfectly. The Adam who was able to resist all temptation, though tempted in every way. And we're so grateful for him and we worship him because he is the God of our salvation. And we know that with, without supernatural touch, we would still be in darkness because men love darkness because their deeds are evil and they hate the light. But yet you have opened our eyes and you have caused us to love the light. And so we are grateful for that. And as we celebrate the supper of our Lord today in obedience to his command, 
we thank you that we have an invitation to come. And even better than that illustration of the crumbs falling from the table, we get to pull a chair up to the table and eat right from the king's hand. And Lord, we bless you and praise you for that. And we ask that as we remember you, your body, and your blood, that we can celebrate and be strengthened today because we belong to you in Jesus' name.